I'm Jenny Edwards, and I'm Chief Executive of the Mental Health Foundation, so it's nice to meet so many people here today. Um, let me first of all just introduce briefly our panel members, because they're going to introduce themselves and their work more fully as we go through. So um, on my right, I have Frances Higson, who is a filmmaker, and will tell us more about her films and social movement aspects later on. Um, then we have um, Helena Rifai, who's the member of Glasgow-based women's collective TYCI, which uh, is an interesting, it's got a whole hint interesting history, which I think we'll hear a bit about. And then we have Emma-Jane Park, who is both a choreographer and associate director of the Cultured Mongrel Dance Theatre, great name, and also associate artist at the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival, so doubly welcome. Um, I've been asked to start by introducing myself and then saying a bit about the Mental Health Foundation and why we are where we are, and in an event that's titled not only The Dust of Everyday Life, but a symposium on the arts, mental health and social justice. So I hope you've all got your social justice hats on, because it's been there underneath a lot of our themes, but I hope we can pull that out as we talk about a social movement today. Just a bit about um, why I was determined to be here and uh, invited to be on this panel. Um, I've been at the Mental Health Foundation for three years, but a while back I ran the National Campaign for the Arts, which covered England and Wales and brought together all sorts of arts from the big uh, orchestras and theatres to folk arts and small artist collectives and all art forms. Um, and one of the things that I was... Um, fascinated by in doing that work was all the many places that the arts sort of got into the interstices of everyday life, they were there and people were finding that they were valuable and one of my frustrations in that role was um, attempting to pull that out and present it and there was never enough sort of evidence out there. I had wonderful stories that I picked up and often used in campaigning with governments and so on um, but I always wanted to get some Something that was a lot harder and faster that would really show the value of it. But um, sort of one of the things that you know so many people believed, and it just worked as a as an outcry, was that um, our national heritage ought to be available to everyone. It'd been left to us as the public, and so one of the things that I'm proudest of there was running the campaign for free entry to the National Galleries and Museums, which eventually was successful and is still holding on and attendances have doubled. Um, and then I worked in the um, Arts Council, it was London Arts at the time, and it's the time of the lottery and that idea that it should be additional and not for the stuff that was already there and great in itself meant that we... Um, certainly in London, could really go out and, and find the cultural richness that was there in many communities that had never been involved in that institution before, in the refugee communities, in disability arts, in um, the great cultural richness of that, that region and the diversity of that region. Um, while that eventually went, because it wasn't uniform enough when there was one organisation, um, a lot of the artists and the work that really came out of the experience and the challenges and the you know, discrimination experienced by those communities gone on to create great artists that we saw in sort of the Olympics opening ceremonies and things like that. So that, that was good. Um, and um, I sort of followed that uh, 
understanding of how important the arts could be and creativity in transforming people's lives into the work I did for 11 years in homelessness and worked a lot with Streetwise Opera and Cardboard Citizens and Forum Theatre because people who are right outside on the margins, and actually I must include the, the refugees in this who often arrived with just a cardboard box but you know could be great famous musicians in their own countries and filmmakers, because obviously they got picked off early, um, that actually those, the opportunity to tell your story involving creativity and to express that to other people and create those spaces of communication as well as those inner spaces has been so important. I'm still frustrated by the lack of um, just having proved it to all the doubters that this stuff is important and it works and it brings us together, it makes us ourselves and it bridges the gaps between us. Um, but perhaps we'll find some answers to that in our discussion. Um, the Mental Health Foundation has been working on the, in this area for um, over 10 years now. Um, th those of you who've been involved in the um, Mental Health Arts and Film Festival will know that it came from an understanding that contact is the key thing that breaks down stigma. And there's a whole theory, contact theory, if you want to look it up. Um, and that the arts are a wonderful way of creating those connections between people who don't know until they've been in those moments that they actually do share things with each other. Um, so that has developed. Gail uh, and others have written a really excellent paper, which I think is being published soon. Is it being published soon? Very soon. So watch this space. Uh, the history is there and the development of the thought. And we will continue to be there. And we have wishes to actually spread that further and to take it outside of a particular period of the year to um, a much wider period. And also, um, it's been, it is fantastic having it in Scotland, but other parts of the UK would like to um, enjoy some of the learning from this too. So again, watch this space because we intend for it to grow. And actually, it was recently over in Australia and lots of people wanting to hear about this. And also, there's a conference next year in Stockholm where people also want to hear about the power of the arts. So enough from me, because we've got a wonderful panel here. And um, I'm going to open up by asking uh, Frances to tell us a bit about her work <laughs> and also what your understanding is of um, you know, the arts in a social movement or in social justice. And has that featured in, in your work? I it might okay, have done. Yeah, it might have done. Um, yeah, I suppose I'll just tell a wee bit of my journey mm. then. So I started out with theatre, uh, doing community theatre in Belfast in the early 90s, um, when it was uh, doing youth, working with youth groups on both sides of the sectarian divide and devising theatre and taking it on tour, um, which was a really uh, powerful and interesting process in itself. Um, and uh, when I came back to Glasgow, I started working with film in drama and producing um, short films um, and ultimately feature films. And I made uh, the last of which was called The Magdalene Sisters, which was um, it shone light into dark corners of the Catholic Church and what they were getting up to. Um, <clears throat> after that, I had a child and kind of took a step back from the business. And uh, it was involved in setting up the Camcorder Gorillas, which was a, is a collective that makes um, 
and screens films about social justice issues. It's, it's uh, unashamed, um, unashamedly biased campaigning films, which was really the idea was to give voice to people who were voiceless. Um, so we made films about refugees, asylum seekers, not with, uh, not a, it, it was more about the groups themselves making the films and us facilitating and helping them to distribute and work with films in various movements. Um, and then, more recently, I've been working with the Radical Film Network and the Social Action Film Exhibitors Network um, to, um, I guess, networking, I think, is a hugely important part of uh, communication and protest and building movement building. So, and I think film is, a, um, is so effective. Mm. So it's about managing to get really important films throughout networks. I think, and uh, um, the last, the most recent thing I've done is produce a drama again. So um, my production entity is called Twisted Sisters, and it's about an empowering women, middle-aged women, to have a voice. And we've just recently produced a short film about a, a, a young person coming through the care system. So. Gosh, I get quite nervous talking. I'm going to lose my voice. It's quite... Right, okay, that's me for now, I think. Um, I, yeah, so I, everything I've done has a sort of social agenda at the core. I can't help myself, really. So, yeah. That's Good, me. thank you. Um, Helena, would you like to tell us a bit more about your, your take on this and your work? Um, hello, I am part of a uh, women's collective called TYCI. Um, we are, um, I guess, we're, we are a safe space. We do live events, uh, a podcast, um, a zine, um, and I guess we create, we provide, like to think we provide a creative platform um, by women for women. Um, it was founded by uh, an incredible young woman by the name of Lauren, Ma Lauren Ma Maybury. Sorry, I'm nervous as well. Um, <laughs> Lauren Maybury, who is um, part of a, a group called Churches, who um, are, are very good. Um, they're quite high profile, and she felt she wanted to start something um, for that was, I, I guess, a, a, a platform for, for other women of, of all ages, um, and was. Um, intersectional. So we um, we donate from our live events. We always donate to charity. Um, we also on our website we've done a lot of um, opinion pieces. I write a, a diary each month called my Rad, my Mad Fat Diary, um, which is about my journey through being um, plus size, losing weight, and just the the mental um, effects of that. Um, and it's just a fantastic space that has become quite um, important and um, life-changing, I guess, um, to feel that accepted as part of a group of women. I never thought that... It's, it's quite, it was quite easy before I joined the collective. I thought, you know, there's, you know, it's not that bad, is it? Um, I grew up in a household with three brothers and it was quite a male-dominated house. I didn't think things were, were that bad. And then as time went on and as I've joined TYCI, I just see the struggle and it's um, become just, a, a, I guess, a, a blessing to be part of a group of 
women that are so strong and have such a, a great voice with, um, within the arts community. Thank you, Helena. <laughs> Thanks. We'll hear more, no doubt. Um, Emma, what, tell us a bit about your amazing dance group. <laughs> I hope it's amazing. <laughs> um, so I am a dancer and theatre maker, um, and I say that quite specifically because what I do is less concerned with five, six, seven, eight, all in unison, um, and more about theatre, and, and I see theatre less as a venue, but more as a, an exchange between two people. Sometimes that's an exchange between us and a larger group of people, um, depending on where we are and what space we're in. Um, and my work is concerned with touring, um, my performance work, which is a bit of a, a mirror to the world, I hope, and I really want to use my work to kind of ask the audience to question their role in the performance and then their role in the conversation after the performance, which would lead to questioning their own role within the society that they live in. Um, participation programmes that, for me, challenge the way we deal with participation, especially in dance. There's this overarching theory that dance is good for everyone and everyone wants to dance. So I spent a large part of my earlier career um, working with people from disadvantaged backgrounds and what would be classed as kind of difficult groups of young people, um, say the kind of young people I get on with, but kind of being parachuted in and, and expecting everyone to love dancing um, and having to navigate ways around that. So I'm now sometimes in participation circles known as the dancer who doesn't want people to dance, <laughs> um, by which I just don't ask people to dance. I kind of try and find ways around movement that are useful for the people that I'm working with um, and advocacy and that advocacy comes down to working with the Mental Health Arts and Film Festival but also advocating for culture on a broader sense because a big part of the work I do is about asking people to trust artists and to to reframe what we see as kind of brave as human and as successful and reframe the way we see the world we're living in to make it hopefully a much more satisfying and curious place um, with less room for failure. Thank you very much. I like, I like that theme of reframing the worlds we're living in. I suspect we'll come back to that. Um, what I'd like to ask each of you, in any order, is um, is there something that you've seen that has particularly inspired you that you felt represents that idea of a social movement in the arts um, that you've seen doing that business? Um, taking your own work, of course, as read already. <laughs> I was going to say, do you know, there's, there's brilliant, there's lots of brilliant things, and I think what I find difficult with the question sometimes is that movements are so huge, mm. and the where the place art sits in there, and sometimes mm. as an artist I'm invited to try and change the world in 12 weeks, mm. <laughs> um, instead of just being part of a movement and having a small role to play, um, in movements which can take 60 to 100 years to mm. actually achieve what they're looking to achieve, if they achieve it at all. Um, but one of my favourite things is the Human Library, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know if everyone's familiar with. It's great. It, it turns up, it can't be specific, and I class this as an artwork, because mm. again, for me, it's real theatre, because you're just sitting, having an experience with someone. Um, and people will wear sashes or have signs that identifies them as a label they may have to wear in real life, and you can then sit with this person and talk to them um, about that experience, whether they were transgender, whether they've had cancer, whether they are a banker, 
whatever. Um, you volunteer yourself to go, so that comes with the premise that you're open to questions being asked, although you can have a boundary point. Um, and it's really beautiful and complicated and doesn't give any answers, but just leaves people with lots of questions, mm. um, but brings people together in a conversational way, which to me is what good art does. Mm. I'm very much of a grassroots um, kind of person. I, I kind of look to local community for, for movements, um, and mine might not be relatable for a lot of people, but um, I was very much inspired by um, a group called Girls Against, who are, was st started by a 17-year-old girl who was touched inappropriately at a live show, and um, she started this um, collective of intersectional feminists who stand up against sexual harassment and assault within live music. Um, and it's gone on to become something um, that's been represented by the BBC, um, particularly Six Music, um, and so on. And um, they are, they've received so much praise and support from so much of the music industry, high-profile artists that have, um, you know, just said, you know, this is not acceptable. Um, so I think even, you know, movements come in all different sizes and I think no matter how big or small, that one for me kind of because of my love of music and just that it felt quite um, poignant, um, I just felt that that one was mm. quite important. <clears throat> um, I'll stick with film, I guess. Um, there's lots of things that are inspirational, but I would have to go with I, Daniel Blake of recent mm, because mm. I think that particularly how they've distributed and what they've done, it was distributed throughout communities almost before it hit mm. the mainstream and it was it is available, like you can see it in community centres in Clydebank and Dumbarton and you know and it, and it, and it, that's encouraged by the filmmakers as mm. well that it's a, it's a tool to be used to raise awareness and it is raising questions and it is raising outrage as it mm. should do so I think I, Daniel Blake is pretty inspirational. And Ken Loach, you know, he's, he's pretty, mm. pretty special. Mm. Well, really, all together. So, yeah. I suppose if we're talking about um, you know, the arts really being at the creative part of a social movement, then Cathy Come Home, the Ken Loach original one, really, it was perfectly timed. Okay, other things were going on, but it brought people's thinking together and their feeling together around the experience of homelessness. And probably it's, it's still got resonance now and they probably need a, an update, but um, you know, that's something that you can definitely say has changed the world around it by changing how people feel. Um, and the, the idea of a, a social movement in the arts, um, some people would react in horror about that, you know, the arts are not for that sort of thing. What do you think? Do you think it's a legitimate phrase? Yeah. Is, there, is there a movement or are there a lot of movements? What do we mean? Yeah, what was the, the guy, was it this guy this morning, Kevin, what was his name? Williamson. Williamson, yeah. and he was talking about how um, there is more um, politically engaged or uh, less art for art's sake in times mm. of crisis, like mm. where we are now, mm. and more. Um, what was his words? I actually wrote it down. Um, 
and more socially engaged content being created throughout mm. the art world because it's it's around you so it kind of seeps in through your bones mm. and if you're listening or you're aware then as artists you're gonna it's gonna come out your fingertips or your you know your mm. bodies or you know it's yes. just it's mm. kind of inevitable really mm. if there is I feel we're living in times of crisis. Yes. Yeah. And there's something about being a contact point that isn't personal, mm. that for me feels massive, not just in being part of the movement and making the statement and saying, I'm really part of that, um, but in order to connect with allies, and I know allies can be seen as a bit of an off term, but I use it in a nice mm. way. Um, yeah, in a, mm. just that way of being able to catch someone at the right moment where mm. they suddenly acknowledge they have a value that sits within a movement that they never identified mm. with. Um, and I find that that's really essential um, when I see a lot of conversations in these anxious times coming from such a defensive place. Mm. And so I know in some situations, if I say the word feminism, the conversation will close. Mm. Mm. point blank, that's it over. Mm. <laughs> because this person doesn't identify as being a feminist. Whereas mm. if they come and see a work that addresses that and suddenly has a lot of female protagonists on stage mm. and asks a lot of those questions, suddenly we come out and we have a conversation about our values and realise they're in the same place even if we don't label them, mm -hmm. and then we have powered as a movement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that the, the arts catalytic effect can be about peeling away things that, that people have been holding to defend themselves, really? Absolutely, and being able to see complex issues and all their complexities mm. because as soon as we come to have a dialogue or write a legislation or any of these things that are very black and white I think we can get so caught up in minute detail that sometimes that's again where the clash happens and as soon as we land in those defensive territories or warning mm. territories communication leaves mm. hunker down yeah Helena what's that you yeah, kind of um, I really agree with what you say there. Um, I think in my own, uh, I'm not one for jargon. I'm not one for complications. I think things are just too complex at times and it's just about breaking it down completely. Um, I get that there has to be an explanation and a meaning to everything, but I think that what you're saying, the minute details and things, I think that it's... Essentially, we want to engage with an audience um, in, with an art form and try and engage as many people from as many different areas, gender, race, whatever, as possible. And it's about looking at that ability to engage in meaningful ways. So you... Um, I guess there is a difficulty there. I think some people feel kind of out of the loop or they just feel, especially within the arts, they feel, oh, this is a bit... I don't understand what that means. Yeah. I, I think this is just, you know, if I think this way, is that is that right? Or mm. if I have a different opinion, am I allowed to have that opinion? Um, and I think it's, it's about moving outside your comfort zone, experiencing different relationships, integration, cross-pollination, um, and, and just leading on to wider partnerships, um, because everyone has the right to access art and have a conversation about it in whatever dialogue they, they see fit. So... 
just sad. Um, sadly, there's so much poverty of opportunity. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's one of the things that seems to have come out for me today mm. very much. I've heard people talking a lot about um, where the access from areas of deprivation mm. to the arts is it's, it's difficult. It's, uh, I've been working in Faithfully recently with a film maker there and she's it's been a long journey to get to the point where she can make this film and she has mental health issues and she's brought up from you know she's come from this community which is hugely impoverished but the impact of making a film in that area uh, because we wanted to be where it was from mm. uh, the roots of it had a huge impact i mean mm. the whole community was like what is going on here yeah. is that possible i mean someone from our area could actually mm. and it's so rare it's such a gem and um, I think that's quite sad, really. But um, yeah. well, I suppose that's the other thing about the tactics of building a movement that really is a universal movement and really is inclusive, that we've, that we've gone from a time in our history where actually we were all creative, we were all doing things together, and that is what bound us together probably in the caves of the Ice Ages. That is probably why we survived having arts to a point where it's uh, you know, very much seen as a commodity. And are, are you at the level of the auto-tuned, you know, airbrushed artists that people would see on screens or you know, on, their, on their smartphones nowadays? How, what are the tactics that we can be using to make sure that, that those cultural rights that are enshrined in the UN Convention actually become real and that people do have the chance to express and to experience the arts? I think it's about time. And, I, and it's mm. a really controversial thing to say because it, it comes down to time, which then comes down to money, because it's mm. about people having time. And I know in some of the, the areas of poverty that I've worked in, I have a, a model of working, it all sounds very fancy, called permanent visitor, where I establish myself in a very poor community, but from the get-go explain to this community that I am a visitor, mm. I will come back, it will become less and less frequent, um, but me leaving is okay. Mm. Um, and I set that up from the get-go um, because a lot of the children in that community have really bad experiences of people leaving. Mm -hmm. Leaving is a bad thing mm. as opposed to a very normal human thing that you, we all move in and out of each other's mm. lives. Um, but in order to be able to, to visit that process and really pursue that process, I need time, and one of the biggest things mm. I've came up against, um, once I ran it in an area of Glasgow, and all I wanted to do was move into the area. Because mm. I, I was in the area on a weekly basis, that didn't work, because we then became a club, which mm. had a very specific meaning in this area, um, and wasn't very respected. The club's just a thing mm. you can kind of do and flit in and out of. So I would then visit intensively in short bursts, one weekend a month, and it just wasn't enough. So... The, the big barrier was that I didn't, I didn't understand the community. The community saw me as someone who was invested, but still mm. viewed me through a bit of a skewed lens. So I was mm. just like, I'll move in. It's fine. Mm. And then was told I wasn't allowed to because the local authority deemed the houses as not fit for purpose. So it wasn't safe for me to live mm. in the flats that all of these families were living in, um, which was really vile. Mm. Um, and then it came down to money. It was just like, mm. well, what's the value of us letting you live here for three months? To which my argument is, I then get to know the community, so then mm. we're ready to begin, mm. which can then do all of these things and, and generate a movement and generate all of, all of the things that we've been talking about. But instead, it, it appears to me that there's a big... Sorry, I get really wild about this. Um, a big drive for me to empower people 
go and empower the community. Um, and I'm sick of it because to me, empowering people is cooking chicken in front of my dog mm. and then putting it on a plate on top of the counter where the dog can't reach it. Mm. Like they're slobbering, they're ready, they want the chicken, but they can't then get there because I leave and can't mm. hand it to them. And there's something about instead of getting me to go in and empower in 12 weeks, because that's what the funding is, like what about letting me prepare, encourage, support, getting people ready to start and then actually being able to take people on a journey mm. where they have the skills to continue whatever this thing is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of would love to see more uh, it, it not being people going in at all to any communities. It's more about, it, you know, what does a community itself want and need to in order to grow a cultural expression from within their own communities. So in a way, it's like, I, it's not me going mm -hmm. into a community. It's like, well, it's like, Who it's, is there who's there already and what can they do and what do they want to do? And mm -hmm. then in a way, it's just, that's, I think that's the obvious answer to that. I was thinking about, the, there was a film, City of God, and uh, it was mm -hmm. about the favelas in mm -hmm. Brazil. And the filmmakers stayed on after, or they taught all the mm -hmm. people who were in the film how to edit and work with cameras mm -hmm. and so on. I think there's a, I don't know the full story, but they did stay on for another six mm -hmm. months thereafter. So they're leaving some skills behind, as well as having, you know, shown their community mm -hmm. for what it is. So I think there's probably a bit of everything. Yeah. yeah. I'm obviously, I mean, I'm very, this is very much an arts-based from, from my perspective in terms of what TYCI does. So it, we, in, for what we wanted to do, um, and this is something obviously I, can't, I feel that I'm, I'm happy to talk about, um, is that we wanted to create a, a community um, within the arts for, for women that took people's strongest skills and then used that to create something bigger and it's it's proved valuable it's proved um you know it, like amazing because it's then influenced uh, and taught other we've passed our skills on to other women um from from all different areas and they've then joined the collective and it's it's almost kind of, you know, like a, I hate to use the word food chain, but, you know, you're, you're feeding down and, and building a greater community because of that. Um, and I think that once you become confident in that, I totally agree with what you say about not going into the community and actually what do they want to do? Mm -hmm. And it's about, you know, taking that right yourself and, and doing it. Um, and again, it's, it's the money thing. <laughs> We do it all voluntarily, mm. um, and you know we're lucky. We've got house, we've got food, um, but it's because we wanted to do it. We wanted to provide something for ourselves, but do something that was that we could donate profits to charity as well. I find all this very refreshing because certainly when I was in London, and again, you know, saying that the lottery funds should be for something different. Um, there was a huge row going on about this is social engineering and this is not the job of the arts and it's not the job of artists. The job of artists is to express themselves creatively. What are you trying to do? 
Um, so, uh, almost it's a bit of a patsy thing. What do you think about that argument? And, yeah, is there a balance in the middle, actually? It, can you go too far by saying, actually, we, we want to have the arts in areas where they're not at the moment and other artists should get on and do what they're moved to do? I think, for me, there's a thing that? about going, this is this artist's inquiry, and I, I am all for a social movement in the arts, and it is a huge part of my practice mm. because... In my core, it's a huge part of my my life and mm. was from growing up at a young age. But I'm also a massive fan of arts for art's sake because there is nothing more destructive than an artist who has no interest in a social movement in the arts mm. running a programme that is designed to start a social movement in the mm. arts because they're going to get paid to do it, I think. Mm. People should follow their genuine... The same in any walk of life. If yeah. you're not interested in your job, you're not going to do particularly well. Um, but this is people's lives and identities we're really dealing with mm. here. So I think artists should set out their line of inquiry and then see how that connects with, with things that are out there mm. um, and how they partner with organisations who have similar, similar value sets, mm. effectively, um, and then pursue things that way as opposed to a current trend which I do see where some artists I know who aren't interested in participation mm are suddenly running youth programmes alongside the work they make mm. and labelling their work in a way that they very much didn't 10 years ago. And there are artists I know well enough to say to them, mm. have you changed or has this changed? And they say, the funding has changed. Mm. And they don't like it any more than I mm. do, but it's the only way they see of having their work mm. made, which is really complicated. Mm. And I, for me, I think destructive mm. all round because it takes one bad art experience for someone to go, that's not Never for again. me. Yeah. Yeah. It's when it's not authentic. Um, yeah. Do you want to add anything on it? I was just going to say, storing, storytelling is and has been forever. And how, you know, film is my, mm -hmm. you know, we, there's a need to express um, stories from the world around us. And um, people who are creative have the ability to tell stories. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it's, it's, Film, I mean, is the marriage between, and it's a difficult marriage between, because it's expensive, between creativity, storytelling, and money, because mm. it's a difficult, yeah, so that, it's, it's, it's not always an easy thing, and it's certainly not an easy thing to do well, but when it is done well, and you have married a, a, a strong, uh, integral, creative voice into storytelling and married that with money, then it's, it's a fantastic it's thing. Magic. It's a yeah. magical thing. And the power of that means of communication where people can jump on and go, that represents what I, my experience, or, or maybe it's a jumping off point to explore their own experience. Um, and I think the Mental Health Film Festival does that brilliantly because it's creating a space for people to have to share yeah. around these stories, so you're, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you want to add anything, Elaine? Um, I guess, I think the, the, the problem is that the arts is um, frowned upon by a lot of people. It's seen mm. as something that's not really, um, you know, profitable for, for people. It's, um, you know, I did a degree in music and it was like, oh no, do you not want to, you're not going to get a job. And um, it's, um, do you not want to do something a bit more professional? And um, I think that's the problem, whereas it's, it's an escapism for a lot of people. Yeah. It's something that you, a lot of, you know, 
communities and, and just your, your downtime in your life, um, especially from a, a mental health perspective. I suffer with chronic anxiety and it's the one thing, music is the one thing that pulls me out mm. of it. So I think even from, from any aspect of social um, movement with the arts, it just makes things just so much more... I suppose reachable and and more in touch with your own emotions, so you feel that you've almost got something, you know, to to aspire to, to have a dream about. Mm. So, yes, I think you're right. And the it's always struck me in education that we we've never had mental health literacy on the curriculum, which I think is bizarre because why yeah. shouldn't we know about how we think and feel? But we have had in the, at different times in the past a greater degree of arts education and humanities, and that's how we learn about the different aspects of ourselves and the balance between our, our minds and our hearts and our, our spirit and um, how to deal with the difficult things in life. And if you take both away, um, then we're miss, seriously missing out mm -hmm. um, on, on that side of things. Um, I could continue this conversation forever, but I think it's time to bring in some of you from the audience. Uh, if you'd like to signal if you'd like to ask a question or comment on what you've heard so far. Well, excellent. I know it's the end of the day, but you've got thoughts. This is your chance. <laughs> Come out of them. Hi there. Um, I just wanted to talk about um, socially engaged practice and the fact that funders, that, that is what funders are funding. And uh, speaking about participation practice as well, obviously all of that is really great and you would think that most artists do genu genuinely always want to engage the public, engage people, but if the funders are only ever funding work that always speaks about that, then perhaps we're we're failing the public because we're not giving them always quality work. If you're taking work that is always involving their participation, where are they ever going to see work that is really high quality? Because they're not. And I think arts funders really have to look at that because people won't know what's good because they're just taking part, they're doing, you know. And I really have a I really have a big problem with too much work that's just about social engagement and not about quality. Um, does anybody want to comment on that? Is it, is it a binary thing? Can, or can some of that uh, engagement actually lead to very high quality art? Um, I, I think I agree with you. I, I, I tend to steer away from fully participatory filmmaking particularly because I actually don't necessarily think it always does the participants a huge favour because mm -hmm. if you make something at the end of the day that you're kind of go, oh, it's really flawed or, you know, they haven't mm -hmm. necessarily brought... So I, I think it's a marriage of the two, mm -hmm. of professional level practice married to participatory mm -hmm. kind of filmmaking particularly. Anyway. I would say I absolutely agree, which is why I separate the touring and the participation in my description of what I do. 
Um, and some of my work is immersive, so the audience are very much involved. They participate in the performances, but in a very controlled environment where it is about the quality of the work and the, the audience journey is crafted. But I would take it one step further from what you're saying, maybe where I think participation is important as a gateway to say you can you can do this and here are tools to do this. But for me, the ultimate... I don't know if this sounds cheesy. My dad would laugh at me, but that's fine. Um, the ultimate sense of expression for me is my arts for my art's sake. Um, and the things I do that sometimes end up in a performance, but sometimes are just for me. And I don't think we can invite people to make their own art for art's sake if they haven't been through a participation process and had that door opened. Um, it's a bit like on the training level, you, I go in to train as a dancer, I, I get taught how to do other people's dances for a very long time. <laughs> um, and then I have the skills to do dances and then I can start to make my own. And then I can start to express myself as kind of the journey of training. Um, and I see participation as really important in having that gateway open. So if people then see the high quality work, feel connected to the artist who's made the high quality work, they see that sense of, I can go and express myself. Whether or not they want to share that, totally up to them, but I think without the high quality work, people don't realise that art for art's sake can exist and that's important to them. I would like to say that I don't think it's always um, one or the other, that you, that you can have, um, though it's more exceptional, really wonderful works of art that are created with a broader participation. I know a late friend of mine who was the former Deputy Secretary of the Arts Council in England, um, he said the single and he'd been all around the world and he used to run the South Bank and so on. He said the single thing that he saw that wouldn't, he'd never forget was a community performance of Romeo and Juliet on an estate. So, uh, yeah, out of all the things he'd experienced, so that can happen, but except it's quite rare. Can we have another comment or question? There's someone at the back, then we'll come round. Hi, sorry. Uh, due to pressures of work, I want to get along to this end, but. Um, but a really interesting discussion, but also for, from, from my perspective, um, I think it's really important. There's a great Bill Shankly quote that says, football's not a matter of life and death, it's more important than that. Mm. And for me, that's what the arts uh, is. And uh, I feel that the system that we've got just now has pushed the arts to some kind of periphery where, you know, it's, a, it's, it's almost a luxury we can't afford, is what we're, what's the narrative we've been told. Uh, and I'm, uh, you know, I feel that the, the arts really should be at the forefront of uh, a clear anti-capitalist uh, movement, um, because, and certainly in a mental health, um, uh, you know, focused discussion, if you look at the levels of anxiety, look at the levels of problems which are caused by the system we're living in, uh, and I think that if we can't have those kind of really honest discussions in a forum like this, we can't re remind ourselves, if we need reminded, that things are very wrong at the very core and we need a fundamental paradigm shift. If we're not able to have those discussions here, then, you know, we're, I think we're, we're failing ourselves and, and we're failing the, the kind of society that we're part of. So that's my little tuppence worth. Okay, thanks. I'm going to take two, uh, the second question as well, and then come back to the panel. So, uh, question or comment? Thank you, Gail. Making you run. 
Uh, I'd like to reflect on the, the discussion, previous discussion about professionalism and quality. Um, my primary artistic endeavour started, well, it kind of accelerated following a major depressive episode and music was my personal therapy. Next weekend I'm going to Ullapool to take part in the Adult Fish, um, which is an opportunity for me to perform at the level I can perform at. And, and, and I adopted the phrase of um, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing badly or as well as you can do it at the time. Uh, but I'm going to be tutored by professional tutors um, and performing with them. And if I go to, you know, the, in Glasgow and Edinburgh, I can go to pubs and sessions and sit in. Sometimes it's a bunch of amateurs are doing what they do, and sometimes there's professionals there, and there's a kind of an aspirational thing there. Is that I can learn from them, that's great, I can perform alongside them, but it's also crucially important that I can just perform at the level I can perform. Yeah, thank you. Um, I've just checked, the, I've got two more questions, so I'll, I'll take the two that I've seen, but first I'll ask people for quick reflections on the last two points. Yeah, I agree with Mark, building an anti-capitalist uh, movement out of the arts that needs to be done. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, from the grassroots up, in my opinion. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I they're not really questions per no. se, but um, so, um, yeah, I concur. <laughs> I was going to say, sign me up. <laughs> Start your, um, I, I just think it's a good point to point mm. out about Smahath, mm. um, the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival. Um, that, for me, that was the thing that attracted me to the festival, and that's the thing I think it does beautifully, is it sits professional artwork that has been subsidised and made and has this huge process behind it alongside people who are exploring things from their own needs and everything in between. And sometimes I do have conversations with people who, who question the festival for that reason, um, which I find very odd, but of course I would find that very odd because I support the festival. Um, and it's a really brilliant model and a beautiful way of letting all of those things coexist, which for me is important because I see the world literally in circles and I don't understand the kind of line and the top and the bottom, without one, the other can't exist. And there's something in being able to say or learn how to articulate, and I'm still practicing it, that it's about what you need at that time. Because I know myself, I'm with sport, I would sometimes much rather, more often than not, go to the five-a-side football game on a Sunday on Gretna playing field that is probably abysmal by any technical standard, but what I need from football is that. Mm as opposed to going to see the top teams in the world play. And I think there's just being honest about that and, again, being able to say, this is what I do at this level and what are you needing from it? Because if this is what you need, come along, have a jam with us. But if this is what you need to really see this thing that's been made, that's what you need there. Um, and we could maybe, as artists, at times be less defensive about that. I was just yeah. going to read, uh, somebody was talking earlier, as a duty... Everybody, there's a duty mm. yeah. as an artist to mentor and encourage other people's creativity mm. because we've all had that encouragement and there's teachers and mentors who've mm. inspired us, so it's, it's a duty to kind of mm. share that and give it back. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree with both the gents completely. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, it's um, this constant, um, as I've kind of said previous to this, this constant um, 
thing of being told that um, it's it's a sideline, it's something that should just be a hobby. Whereas um, I think a lot of musicians who feel and, and artists and whatever creative you know creative outlet that you have is um, something that you feel so passionate about, but you're told that you can't make a living from it. That it's you know something that should just be done as a, a pastime and um, don't get me started on funding. It's uh, not a good subject for me, um, but it, grassroots movements totally um, building from the bottom up. Yeah, I was just wanting to add on mm. about networks because I'm quite involved in a couple of networks and how valuable yeah. networks can be in terms of movement building. And if there is a network in your particular area of engagement, then I think it's really valuable for particularly in the face of what those the, the, the mainstream networks mm. are giving us and feeding us it's very frightening mm. and so we have to have to create our own yeah mm. yeah third two questions or comments here at front and then I'm sure things still close Short question, but might be long answers. Can I just take the other question or comment? Um, I just wanted to say that um, I've, I've not been very well for a I do think we've we changed the label of what's good art all the time historically and things that were thought to be great you know in Victorian days and now in dusty basements and the, the artists like Van Gogh who uh, couldn't even get a free drink for his art are on the walls so that's our responses and particularly on that point about representation of class in the media. I'm going to start in the last oh, okay. one, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. uh, just to say that art therapy, I think, is a hugely mm. undervalued therapy and resource. I went through mm. a whole process of art therapy for a couple of years, um, just dealing with my own issues. And, I've, and, I've, and the girl I've worked with who's been has post-traumatic stress disorder has used art mm. in a, a whole healing process as well. And I think it's hugely important. Mm. Um, and... You go into the, I was in the BBC not that long ago editing and it was just quite middle class and mm. pretty much across the board. I'm not saying, obviously I didn't talk to everyone in there, apart from the people working in the cafe, you mm. know, but uh, I think it's a huge issue. Mm. It drives me bonkers solely because I still think there's a huge issue with the representation of women <laughs> in the media and I think how long has it been since women got to vote? Mm. If women are still struggling, everyone else is like... Gobbed <laughs> um, mm. in terms of representation, but I um, I follow it quite strongly, and 
have interest and interactions at the moment with a lot of places I work and lots of people I connect with where I'm seeing a lot of kind of unconscious bias from communities themselves kind of confirming that underrepresentation within those social communities and that's something I have issues with um, so it's kind of I see like a bit of a sandwich it's the top and the bottom needs some kind of effect and I, I think for my own means I'm in a position at the minute where I'm politely bullying a lot of my friends who are artists from different backgrounds and who have very, I would say, fortunately developed their artwork. I'm from a very working class background. I wouldn't say I'm working class now. I get to work as an artist, so that's a bit of an odd comment. When I, I dance for a living instead of grind my fingers to the bone. Um, but I try and get myself onto boards. I try and get myself in decision-making positions. It's really complicated. But I think if you've been lucky enough to get through that kind of barrier before austerity politics have became as extreme as they are, we kind of have a responsibility to put ourselves in positions that can then affect change trickle down, as well as into communities where we can encourage people to pursue mm. further. If that makes any sense. Um, I guess in terms of the, the class, I, I come from a middle class background and albeit I'm from a mixed race, um, my parents are, my dad's Moroccan, my mum's British, but um, in terms of my, my working career, um, it's from, because independently of this, I, I work in the music industry, and seeing especially young artists coming through the ranks, I see the differences, and it drives me mad. Um, I see that some people will get favoured. I see that um, even with certain classes, they'll think it's edgy to put a certain class through, or, you know, we've got to do this as part of making things a, a wider spectrum, which is controversial, but it's a fact. Um, and I, I guess with the BBC, just to touch on that, there, there is something called BBC The Social, and I'm by no means promoting them here, but I think they are trying to make things more diverse with young people. Um, although I do feel that they could try harder with it, especially from a BME background and um, from you know the working class aspect. Um, just to move quickly on to the other point of um, art and, and therapy, I worry so much, I guess, about social media and the impact that it has on people's time. I think we've got such a we've got this thing that we have to consume so much information that it makes us anxious, it causes mental health problems, and I think that it doesn't give us that time to actually do what we love and what makes us feel happy. We have to feel that we've got to do as much as we can in, within a day, and that's partly to do with social media and it's to do with, with our working lives as well. Um, but it's it's about just taking a deep breath and just thinking, is is, it, is the world going to end if I, if I take more time to write a song or if I make a film? Or is it about me actually experiencing my life? So, It's interesting. I took your question as being about the representation of class in the media because that's one of the things, I'm probably older than many, most people in this room, that it's really changed from the time when I used to probably consume TV more, when there was a lot more drama that was just about a whole range of probably white, but um, working-class life. 
Um, the, um, you know, I think of things that everyone will know, boys from the black stuff. But you know, where are the dramas like that that actually represent real lives and aren't stigmatising and stereotyping? And there's been some articles recently um, about black and Asian British um, actors saying that they only ever get offered the parts of terrorists or thieves and criminals now and that is one of the reasons why there's complaints in the States that so many British actors are working over there because they get a wider range and I, th I think that's a real complete dereliction of duty and actually legal responsibilities from our media and um, you know, my sense is over, over the decades and the centuries artists have always been taking to the mainstream real stories of people's lives and yeah, occasionally I say, where is the Dickens of our time? You know, where are the things that are reaching people and they want to see the next bit of that are real and tell the stories about the struggles that people are facing and that are causing the mental health problems of our time? And I wonder, I wonder about audiences as well and sensationalism and how there's such a call for, for the extremes in terms of class representation, mm. particularly on television. Mm. Um, Programmes that I find quite... Jeremy Kyle show, um, for one, or these kind of like Benefit Street and all yeah. of these things that I just... Poverty porn. Um, yeah, it's Little proper Britain. poverty porn, it's proper social tourism, but there seems to be a call for this as well, and I wonder what's, what's lacking in terms of education or community or connection that makes people sit back and go, this feels unethical to to judge an entire class of people. It's a very tiny demographic of commissioners, I think. Well, yeah. that's it. I was going to say, there's these gatekeepers. You look at what, yeah. what, you know, who's running these establishments, and there are gatekeepers, and they're scared, and they want ratings, and they think, oh, well, we can get ratings if we commission this kind of stuff. You can't get near it. I couldn't get my writer anywhere near the BBC. No. You know. um, I think Gail's glaring at me. And saying, <laughs> this is a fascinating discussion, and... Um, First of all, can I thank, ask you to thank our panellists for uh, all their contributions and thought provocation. Um, just a, f a few words in sort of conclusion. One sort of reflection on the discussion we've just had is that this is an incredibly interesting time for mental health. We've just heard this week we're going to have a general election. I think all the parties will be vying to say that they are the ones who care about mental health. Now, I think that's only possible if actually you take an incredibly narrow um, view of what mental health is, one that doesn't really take account of um, where our mental health positively is impacted on or negatively in real lives. Um, and that the, th the thing that will help people understand mental health much more widely is um, the arts, creativity, that broader sense of culture where people can really understand what's going on, why young people are self-harming to a degree they never have, why um, we've got you know, epidemics of poor mental health in so many of our communities. Um, so, you know, long live the arts, may they tell the story of this in, in more and more in a way that they haven't yet picked it up. May that help us all understand the issue um, over these weeks and over the years ahead. And um, 
you know, may you all continue the good work that you're involved with. If you weren't, you wouldn't be here today and have given up your day to be here. I know Linda's uh, very much involved in that, but I don't, don't know all of your lives, but I suspect you're all doing um, um, fantastic things in your lives. Keep it up. We are part of a movement, and we are part of a growing movement. I think it's a movement that will keep growing. This is the time for it, and we've got to sort this one out for, for the sake of future generations. Thank you very much. Thank you to Gail and to all the team from the Foundation who put this event together and safe journey home. Thank you.